Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. San Diego is making changes to the city's 42 neighborhood planning groups. The changes are meant to encourage diverse membership and improve organization, but critics say it's a developer-driven effort to crush public opposition to housing. David Garrett covers housing for the UT. So David, what does a neighborhood planning group do? They basically are an advisory group. They don't have actually any official power. They're an advisory group. But the thought is before the city council approves something, they'd like to know what folks in the nearby area think about it. There's going to be a new Toys R Us in in North Park. The city council wants to know what the North Park residents think about Toys R Us and whether the building is too tall, too small, has enough parking, those kind of things. So they were created in the early 70s. uh, And there's 42 neighborhoods that have them and their decisions end up usually playing a key role. Even if something doesn't get rejected, their suggestions typically lead to changes. Maybe there'll be a new spot for bike parking because they suggested it. Or maybe, you know, so usually they at least have placed some impact on the final project, how it turns out. Uh, So why did people want to seek changes to the way these groups are organized? Well, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, if you're a critic, you say that these are being uh, uh, led by developers and a crowd of people called the Yimbies or the yes in my backyard crowd. And they want more housing more quickly because they say the way that San Diego needs to solve its housing crisis is with more and more housing. Uh, and that if we don't build housing quickly and if the, the NIMBYs, those are the not in my backyard group, if they continue to block developments and, and make it more expensive for developers, then we're going to get less housing. So the thought is that these planning groups uh, get in the way and slow down and lengthen the process. So they need to be reined in and they need to have less power. Uh, but the city's argument is that, yes, we'd like to see things go more smoothly, but also there was a grand jury argument that said a grand jury report that said that these groups aren't run professionally. You know, a lot of times it is sort of a makeshift group of neighbors who don't understand state open meeting laws and how to create a website and how to do the agenda and how to follow Robert's rules of order when you're in the middle of a meeting and who to call on and who makes a motion and who amends the motion, right? So maybe they aren't that professional. So there was a grand jury report and a city audit. And then the city attorney in 2019 said that the city was at risk of liability because these groups are sort of part of the city, but they're not sort of part of the city. So like, what if someone in one of these groups does something really bad, then the city is on the hook for getting sued, maybe. Um, And so that was another reason. So those three things sort of propelled this argument forward. So what does this new change mean for the groups? Well, there's so many uh, tentacles to it, but the most interesting, I would argue, is that they have to become more diverse. A lot of times they've been criticized for being a bunch of white homeowners, because typically young people don't have time to serve on a community planning group. Renters don't really care enough about the neighborhood or they haven't been there that long. You know, sort of retired wealthy homeowners have typically served on these groups, certainly north of Interstate 8, north of State Route 94, right? And so people say they're not really representative of the whole community. There are no renters, there are no people of color, right? There are no poor people, right? So these are not representative. So the the bylaws, the new bylaws uh, encourage them to study their demographics and try to recruit folks who will make them more representative. I think that'll be probably the most significant change. But the other, the critics would say that developers no longer are required or are strongly encouraged to go. They're sort of just like, you should go to the planning group, but it'll be softened. And the groups are going to lose their ability to file free appeals. So if we're on the North Park planning group, you and I would say we live in North Park and we ask a developer to make all the changes and they say, you know what? No. And, and then it, it gets approved by the, by the city planners at City Hall without even a city council hearing, right? Okay, 
Well, in, in the current world, we have the ability to appeal that for free. It costs $1,000 for someone else, but as a planning group, we can do it for free. This would eliminate that. And so planning groups would have to come up with $1,000 themselves to do the appeal, which seems unlikely that maybe in La Jolla and a few other places, but it seems unlikely that they will be able to have that money and you know to do that. So that was one of the key weapons they had was the appeal. And then at least it would go to the planning commission or the city council. They, they're going to lose that under this, which was a big controversial thing at last night's hearing. Raul Campillo and Marty Von Wolper, two council members, tried to find a way to restore that, um, and, and they, they failed. Well, what was the reason of taking out that free appeal? Well, that's when you get to the, the, the sinister part. Where like, if if you're the city says it's unfair, I mean, why should other folks who aren't in the planning group not have the same rights as the planning group? Right. But if you're a critic, you say, hey, this is the developers saying we don't want these appeals because these appeals force us to go to the planning commission or force us to go to city council. And we have to spend lots of money on that. It lengthens the process. It costs us money. It makes it harder to get approval. When we go to planning commission, we always end up having to make some concessions. Right. The planning commission will say that's too tall. That should be over there. You should build a moat, whatever. Right. And so the point is the developers don't like having to go through more hoops and the appeals that the appeal waiver allowed the planning groups to force the developers to go through more hoops. Um, what else is there to note? You had a lot of opinions from people in your story. You know, what are some of the notable reactions? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think I see both, you know, it's easy to see both sides. If you're someone who's been on a planning group for 30 or 40 years or even three years, you're like, I'm a volunteer. I come once a month and I spend two or three hours reading about the most boring things on earth, right? You're going to crack down on me. You're going to kick me off my board because I'm not a person of color or I'm not a renter. You're crazy. We are, we're good people doing good work. We know our communities. We're trying to make the city a better place. We are the last people you should crack down on. Right. Then you look at other folks and they say, why should we be listening to quote the voice of the neighborhood when it's not really the voice of the neighborhood? It's the voice of the rich white people in the neighborhood, not really everybody in the neighborhood. It's people who've lived there for a long time who maybe are, you know, don't represent all of the thoughts. The young people who want a house, the young people who can't afford to buy a home, they're not serving on the community planning groups very often. So they're not there, you know, having their voice be heard. And I think both sides have merit. What is the process to join one of these groups? Well, that's an interesting element too. You can go to a meeting anytime, but to actually be a member, you have to be elected. And they have elections, I think once every two years, I, I should know that, but I don't. I think it's once every two years. But, th but that was a key element here was that for currently, you have to attend a meeting to be eligible to run. And they say, well, that, a lot of people don't wanna come to sit through a meeting just to run. They're interested, but they don't wanna sit through a meeting. I see both sides on this one as well. So the rules now say that, that you don't have to have been, you don't have to have attended a meeting to run. The, the members say, if you can't attend one meeting, you shouldn't have a right to run. That makes total sense to me. On the other hand, the thought is that there's a lot of folks who think they would like to run, but they just haven't gone to a meeting and it sort of eliminates them, even though they're a member of the community, they're willing to, they're, they're, they want to run for a reason. They're saying, I'm going to start coming to meetings, right? And so by eliminating them, you're eliminating a lot of people who just haven't had time to go. I see both sides. That was another controversial one. It's been, it's been a fun issue to cover. Uh, because there are just so many different elements and they all have really good arguments on both sides. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what's next for this new rule? Well, one, one thing to soften is they gave the planning groups until December 31st of 2023, which is like 16 months to comply with this. So for the next 16 months, they can continue to operate the way they've operated. But, but between now and then, they have to learn how to keep better records. They have to deal with all these changes. So that's sort of the next process. 
Okay. Anything else, David? No, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much.